I wonder, are you a, a journey or a destination kind of person? When you book a holiday, is it all about getting there as quickly as you can? Or do you enjoy a bit of a road trip, a, a bit of a journey? For my wife, Debs, and I, uh, we've had the privilege for many years to um, to travel quite a lot in ministry. And uh, we travel a lot across Europe. Uh, in fact, we're planning a trip just now over Easter, a couple of weeks over Easter. We're going to be in Vienna uh, working with a, an international church there. And, um, you know, the easiest for, thing for us as we travel across Europe, we need a couple of nights stopping on, on the way. And um, the easiest thing is to, to just book, a, you know, f- find a, a services, a motorway services that's got some accommodation and uh, just book in there. That's the easiest, the quickest thing to do. But what I love to do is go onto Google Maps and, and see, you know, how far do I want to get across on this particular day? Roughly where do I want to stop? And then look for some places, you know, two or three kilometers off the motorway and find a nice little village in Germany somewhere, a nice little guest house. And, uh, you know, it's lovely at the end of a long day's driving. Uh, to be able to just pull up and go for a nice little walk in a nice village or out in the countryside, find a nice little um, local restaurant that serves the local cuisine, absorb a little bit of the culture while we're there and experience something new and something different. I love doing that. Those stops are, are times when we get a bit of refreshment and a bit of rest. They're times when we check our progress on the journey. They're times when uh, we check our route for, for the, the journey ahead the next day. Times when we absorb a little bit of the local culture too. And you know those stopping off points are actually called waypoints. And that's a a large part of the decision behind calling this church Waypoint Church. Those are stopping off points. And here, you know, we have an opportunity when we come together, don't we, Um, to get a bit of refreshment, a bit of rest sometimes, a bit of renewal in our spirits, to absorb some of the culture of God's kingdom. Isn't that incredible that we can do that? You know, that's what we're doing as we're, we're being church together to check our progress on our journey to uh to to check the route for the for the season ahead and uh you know we are on a journey and and, and our, our motto text this year as you'll remember i'm sure is is all about that flow of a river and um uh, and us getting deeper into that river and allowing ourselves to be uh, led and, and directed by by the holy spirit as we go and um, so today is all about a little bit of a journey too. It's not all about the destination. We love a destination though, don't we? And, and for us as Christ followers, our ultimate destination is heaven, isn't it? You know, I, I wonder how much you think about that. Heaven is our ultimate destination. We've been promised that, uh, that God's preparing for us a mansion there. It's going to be a banquet. You know, it's going to be a party bigger than the the Tory party. Sorry, Um, shouldn't get political, should I? But um, (laughs) just had to throw that one in. It's going to be a celebration when we get to heaven. You know, that's an incredible thing that we have. We'll we'll, we'll be able to spend eternity in the presence of of Almighty God, our, our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus. That's our ultimate destination. But what about the journey? For you, what about the journey? Is, is, is a journey just a, a necessary inconvenience in order to get to the destination? Or is there some value in our journey? In the Bible, we read of a, um, 
an epic story of, of a journey. Uh, the, the people of Israel, when they were taken out of uh, captivity to the Egyptians and uh, taken to a place that God had promised to them, a promised land that, that where they were going to be able to live in peace and, uh, and in abundance of his blessings. And I wonder for you, uh, what is... What is your, your promised land? What is that destination that you look forward to? And maybe, maybe it is heaven, uh, but maybe it's something else along the way. Maybe God is, is birthing in you a, a new calling or a new vision or, or, or something that God's doing in your life that you're looking forward to coming to fruition. But there's still a journey to get there. And I believe that in this story uh, of the people of Israel, there, there are a number of things that we can learn from, uh, that they learned along the way. A little bit of a, a background to the story. The key character, of course, is Moses. Uh, he was born at a time when uh, the Israelites were uh, in, in captivity and, and slavery to, to the Egyptians. And um, uh, the the... The people of Israel were growing in number and Pharaoh was afraid uh, that they would grow too strong. So he was killing all of the firstborn in order to whittle down their numbers. And Moses' mother was afraid for his life, so she hid him. And Pharaoh's daughter found him and, uh, and brought him up as her own. We, we pick up the story a little bit later when he's an adult and he's seeing his people being oppressed. Uh, and, and he gets angry with one of the Egyptian guards, ends up killing him. He has to run away, goes to another land, starts a new life in this other land. And that is where we really pick up the story here. And, uh, and we read in Exodus uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Exodus 3 and 1 to 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, well, I'll go over and see what this strange sight is, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, uh, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their their, their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. I I can imagine if we just pause there for a moment, I can imagine Moses' spirit um, rising as he's he's hearing God saying to him, you know, I've seen the plight, I've seen that thing that you were so upset about. I've seen the difficulties there and I've come to do something about it. And you can almost sense uh, Moses saying, yeah, go God, Go go and sort out those Egyptians. And then comes verse 10. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You know, God loves doing that sometimes, doesn't he? He's saying to us, you know, I see this needs doing. I see something that needs to happen here. And I'm sending you 
And so Moses' response is, but, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. I don't know if you remember a few weeks back we, uh, when I was uh, preaching last week, we talked about Gideon. And, and there was a very similar story there, wasn't it, wasn't it that, uh, that God called Gideon. And Gideon was saying, yeah, but I'm the weakest. My family's the weakest. I'm the weakest in my family. And the only promise that God gave him was that he would be with him. Isn't that incredible? So maybe, maybe there's something in your life that, that, that God is calling you to. And, and, and you're saying, but, but, but God, how can I do that? And God's promise to you is I will be with you. And so Moses said about, there's more to that story which you can read uh, into how um, uh, God sent Moses. But I, I, w- I want us to just uh, pick up this story now as they begin this journey. And uh, I think there's, for me, I think there's seven really good lessons that we can pull out of this story. Don't worry, they're not all long points. Some of them are really quick. But um, I think there's seven things we can learn uh, from this story of a journey. The first one is partner with those who, will do the, who, who you'll do the journey with. The first one, partner with those who you will do the journey with. Moses and Aaron, um, we read in Exodus 4, Moses and Aaron brought together all of the elders and the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So Moses went to, to the leaders of the tribes and to the people of Israel, and he determined to work closely with those that he was going to do the journey with. A shared vision, church, a shared vision is a powerful way, the most powerful way to see God's mission fulfilled. A shared vision. They came together as a body of people in a shared vision for this journey that was ahead of them. The second lesson I think is be prepared for a battle. This is one that perhaps we're not so keen on uh, on learning, but we read uh, in, in Exodus 5 afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh flatly refused Moses' request. My friends, when you do anything in the kingdom of God, anything significant in the kingdom of God, expect some opposition. You know, Satan is not going to give his territory up easily. We are in a battle, whether we like it or not, as Christians. We are in a battle. We should expect opposition, but we shouldn't be fearful. It's normal. It's what I call uh, spiritual birthing pains. You know, when a mother gives birth to a child, there's always pain in that birth, isn't there? And it's only after that pain that the beauty of a new life emerges. And, uh, and you have that wonderful moment of, of, of bringing this new life into the world. And I believe it's the same spiritually that when something new is birthed spiritually, that there's pain in that birth. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces. These are spiritual battles and they will only be won spiritually. 
in the supernatural. We, we read in, in this particular story that, that God sent the plagues. And um, again, you can, you can read up more of this story, but, uh, but there was the blood in the Niles. There was, there was the, the plague of frogs, of gnats, of flies, of their, their livestock dying, of, of boils, of, of hail, of, of locusts, and the loss of their firstborn. It was a pretty epic battle. And it covers many chapters in, in the Bible. But we will not overcome these powers and these principalities simply in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to fight the power of darkness. That all sounds pretty heavy, doesn't it? But it's a reality for us. It's a reality of our our life and our journey as Christ followers that we should expect opposition and we should be ready for it. We should know our enemy and that we should know the power that's invested in us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. The Israelites, we read in, in, in Exodus 5, the Israelites were found themselves in trouble. They found that um, the, the, the slavery that they were, were brought into was becoming harder. Pharaoh got angry uh, at this attempt for them to be released and, and he made their job even harder. And so um, they, they were making bricks out of straw and, uh, and clay and that was the, the, the job that they were having to do in order for the Egyptians to build their um, the, to build all their, their, their kingdom, their, their buildings. And uh, Pharaoh decided that he'd make it even harder for them. Instead of them being given the straw to make these bricks, they would have to go and find it for themselves. And so the, the Israelites got angry. They got angry with, with, with Moses and they complained and they said, Moses, you basically put a sword in, in our enemy's hand for, for him to kill us. You know, you should be ashamed of yourself for doing this. You see, the reality is that the, the people of Israel there at that moment, they wanted to get out of slavery. They wanted to, to be free. They wanted what God was promising to them, this promised land. But they didn't want to pay the price of getting there. And so they complained and they grumbled. The third lesson, don't fall at the first hurdle. Once the Israelites got the green light to go and Pharaoh said, okay, you can, you, you can go. You would think everything would be okay, wouldn't you? And I imagine there was great celebration. And, and then in Exodus 14, we, we read that they get to the Red Sea. They've got the sea in front of them and the army behind them. There's no way out. So what did the Israelites do? You would think maybe they would go to God and say, God, we, we acknowledge you as, as almighty God. You are able to do anything. You're a faithful God. We've seen your faithfulness. We cry out to you, Lord, lead us and guide us through this next step. No, not a bit of it. They grumbled and they complained. And in verse 11 there we, we read, was, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? Leave us alone to serve the Egyptians. I thought it was better how it was. Friends, sometimes when God leads us on a new journey, when he leads us into a new calling, a new season in our lives, something new that he wants to do with us. Sometimes we'll get to a point where it seems too hard. And you might think to yourself, you know, it's better, it's better if I just go back to where I was. It was more comfortable there. Even that was a place you didn't want to be when you were there. Once you started the journey, there's no way back. 
Remind yourself that God is with you and he's in control. And put your trust and faith in him. The fourth lesson is time for action. Exodus 14 verse 15 we we read that then the Lord said to Moses why are you crying out to me just pause there for a moment I have a a lot of sympathy for Moses at that point because actually you know that's quite a hard question isn't it really they've they've got an impossible situation they've got the sea in front of them and uh, and a fearsome enemy behind them and God's saying why are you crying out to me you know Moses would be justified wouldn't he in saying well God you know because we need you we need you to help us you know that's a fair fair comment isn't it to why, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So here's a question. Is it possible to have too much prayer? <laughs> Thanks, Kev. I was relying on you. <laughs> Kev's our, our elder for prayer. He's always reminding us quite rightly that we need to pray, pray, pray. Of course, we can't have too much prayer. Prayer, and, prayer is a privilege that we've been given, isn't it? You know, to, to talk to our Heavenly Father, Almighty God. We, it should be a, a part of our daily lives throughout our, our day. It should be a natural thing that we're doing. So what's happening here? God is saying, why are you crying out to me? Raise your staff, divide the waters, time to move. You know, I believe that there are times when more crying out to God for action is not what's required. But our own action is what's required. You know, when God has already given a clear instruction, don't sit on the shore complaining, but take action. For Debs and I, 30-something years ago, uh, we were in a situation where we felt that God was calling us for to, to move into a sort of more of a, a full-time ministry. We had young children. We had a big mortgage. We had no money in the bank because I'd been going away on, I'd been taking unpaid leave from, from work in order to, to go away on missions trips. And... Um, it was quite a, quite a risky decision that we were taking, really. And God evolved that calling, if you like, over, over a couple of years. There was a sermon here, a message from Scripture there, a prophetic word somewhere else. Circumstances, situations, things that we were hearing, seeing, that all were coming together over a period of a couple of years. And, and we were, by this time, quite sure that God was calling us to do this and yet we were still saying to God God please confirm this you know we, we it looks like this is what you're saying to us God would you confirm would you write it in the sky you know uh, clearly for us to, to to know that this is what you're saying and then we sat down one night at home and, and we listened to a sermon a sermon tape remember the older ones those cassette tapes Young people haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. We used to have these little things that uh, that, that played back music, you know, uh, or, or, or preaching or whatever. And we listened to this sermon, and um, the, I, I can't remember the whole sort of half an hour or however long the sermon was, but the crux of that message was, if God has already told you what he wants you to do, don't, uh, don't keep asking him for more confirmation. God's already told you what he wants to, you to do. Don't, don't keep asking him for more. 
confirmation. In other words, act. It's time to act. I remember talking to an elder, uh, one of our lovely um, elders from uh, some years ago. He's, he's passed away now, sadly, but um, Ernest Martel. And, uh, and he encouraged us that we need to take that, that first step uh, and to see God beginning to move. And that was a, a powerful moment for us in our lives. So sometimes crying out to God, expecting God to take the next step, sometimes that's not the answer because he's already given us the answer and it's time for us to take action. The fifth lesson, learn how to be church. Isn't this great? Isn't this great? You know, we come together week by week to be the body, the, the, the body of Christ. You know, this is family, isn't it? It gets a little bit lumpy and bumpy sometimes, doesn't it? You know, and we have different ideas of, you know, and there's stretching and pulling in different directions sometimes. And we have different ideas of what would be the ideal way to meet together and, and all those kind of things and what direction we should take. It can be a bumpy ride sometimes. But you know this is a great privilege that we've been given to meet together as the body of Christ. To learn to be church together. To learn how to honor him, how to honor each other. And as the, the, the people of Israel did that journey, they learned how to be church. They learned about sacrifices, about cleansing. They learned about how God is holy and the importance of us being holy. They learned about keeping the Sabbath, how to, to set aside time to rest. God gave them the Ten Commandments, the foundation of how they would live their lives. The values, the value system, how to honor him, how to honor each other. They learned about the importance of giving and tithing. Of giving the, 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 from the first fruits to God even when life was tough they learned about God's provision when they were hungry and they cried out to God he provided them with the quail and the manna providing exactly what they needed exactly at the time that they needed it they learned about discipline should we move on quickly from that one that's in there too we can't Bypass that one in Numbers 12, verse 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? That last little line, and the Lord heard this. This is something I've been dwelling on a lot and God has really been speaking into my heart over this as I've been preparing this message. The Lord hears all of our conversations. He wasn't pleased with Miriam and Aaron. If you want to read how God dealt with that, then read on through that passage in Numbers 12. We can have different opinions. That's okay. We can have respectful discussion. That's good. But backbiting, gossip, pulling people down behind their backs, these have no place in God's kingdom. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That last line of that scripture, and the Lord heard this. Church, I want to encourage you to, to be aware always 
that God hears our conversations. Our conversations to each other, our conversations about each other. We have an opportunity to build the kingdom of God here, to establish his kingdom values among us. It's our responsibility to do that. Let's move on to something a little bit more cheerful. They learned about worship and experiencing the presence of God. One of the first things that they did, well, the first thing they did when, when they got released, when they got, got across the Red Sea, they sang. They, they, they sang, I will, I will sing to the Lord for, for he is highly exalted. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has come to my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. During their journey, they learned a lot about the importance of worship and bringing honor to God. It's very much linked to the processes of, of cleansing and sacrifice in those days. We live in a different era now, don't we? We, we live post the cross when Jesus came and laid his life down. We don't have to do what they had to do back then anymore. Back then, they were, you know, in order for us to meet together, they would have had to have brought in a, a sacrificial lamb, a, a, a perfect spotless lamb, and they'd have to sacrifice it on the altar for the forgiveness of their sins. But we have a saviour who did that once and for all. The pure, perfect, holy son of God, Jesus Christ, laid his life down, took upon himself the guilt, the shame, of your sin, of my sin. And he made a way that, that we could come into the presence of Almighty God, holy, made holy again, made righteous again. We could come freely, openly. We could come in a new relationship, a new covenant. And we could even refer to him in a different way as Abba, Father. The closest equivalent for us is Daddy. That closeness, that intimacy that we've been called into with him. And we have an opportunity as we, as we do our journey together today, tomorrow, next week. We have an opportunity to learn about that intimacy of relationship with him. There's, um, there's a book uh, that a guy called Tommy Tenney wrote a few years back, a, a book called The God Chasers. And um, I read that a few years ago. And there's two stories in that book that, that, that really stood out to me and have, have stayed with me. One of those is um, a story where he talks about his, his young daughter coming and sitting in his lap. And she gets hold of his head and just to get his attention. She says, Daddy, I love you. That's precious, isn't it? You know, he talks about how worship is, is like that, us expressing our love. Our appreciation of God. Matthew 22 verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. John 14 verse 15 also says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. There's two sides to that love. We've got four wonderful grandchildren. We love them to bits. They're lovely. Very often when they come in, it'll be... No, no, I'm hungry. No, not for fruit, for chocolate. <laughs> Can I have an ice cream? Can we do this? Can we? It's 
quite often like that. Actually, they're pretty good kids. We've got a, a granddaughter, Emily. She's seven years old. One of her big things when she comes around, she loves to go down the office. We have a, a log cabin office in, in our garden for the ministry. And she loves to go down there and she, she likes to write notes in, in a notebook and um, to write letters and put them in envelopes to, to do lots of stamping and, uh, and stapling and, uh, and sellotaping and all kinds of things. I've got a, got a really precious piece of paper here. Actually, it's just a, a piece of A4 out of our printer in the office. But um, this is one that she gave me one day when we were down there in the office. It's got a quite a roughly cut out piece of paper in the shape of a heart, kind of. It's got a, a drawing of her. But there's a precious message on there and it says, To Grandad, I love you. Love, Emily. Sweet, isn't it? Precious gets me right here. I have that pinned on my wall just above my computer monitor. Just a reminder, if I'm feeling a bit unloved, I can check out, well, at least Emily loves me. (laughs) If those seven words were the only words I ever heard from her lips, I'd be made up. You'd be the same, wouldn't you? If someone just kept telling you how much they love you. And that's what our worship is. When we come to God and we're lifting our voices and we're saying, we recognize you for who you are. You're mighty God. You're awesome God. You're my loving heavenly father. I love you. I love everything about you, what you've done in my life. That's our worship to him. There's another story that, that Tommy Tenney shared and again with his daughter and he gets into a lift with her and elevator as they call it in the States. And as they're going up the different floors, there's more and more people coming in and it's getting a bit crowded and there's all these grey suits and briefcases and handbags and and his little daughter, she's down here somewhere, you know, and her view is uh, of the world is getting pretty grim and, uh, and, and obscured and, and so on. And she's not in a happy place. So she reaches her arms up to her daddy and says, Daddy, lift me up. And then as her daddy lifts her up, her demeanor changes. Why? Because her perspective changed. And that's kind of what worship does in us when we come before God. We bring our worship, as we were saying just now, through the cross, we're able to come openly, freely into his presence. And we can come before him and have that intimacy of relationship with him. And as we come up to that place where we're seeing things from his perspective, our whole world changes, doesn't it? Our view of our world changes when we look at it from his perspective. So church, don't underestimate what we do when we come here together to worship. This is not all about us, but it's about us bringing honor to him. It's about us coming before him and experiencing what it is to be in his presence. And the world around us looks different when we do that. The people of Israel also learned about the importance of God's presence, of building the 
the, the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant they they were the representation they were the places where they experienced god's presence in exodus 40 <clears throat> we read in all the travels of the israelites whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle they would set out but if the cloud did not lift they did not set out until the next day or till the day it lifted so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the, the cloud by night. This is the bit uh, that I really want to bring out. In the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So during all of their travel, during all of their journey, the Israelites learned to recognize God's presence. The importance of God's presence. They learned to understand when it was time to move and when it was time to hold on. The presence of God, learning to experience that, to understand it, to recognize it. Learning when to move and when to hold back. The sixth lesson, a little bit shorter this one. Have faith to see what God has promised. You would think, wouldn't you, after, after the journey that the Israelites have already done, after all the miracles that they've seen, you'd think they'd be people of great faith, wouldn't you? And yet we find that they're right on the, they're right on the cusp of entering the, the, the promised land. They're right on the threshold, that, that huge promise that God had given to them. And they send in 12 spies just to check it out, to see what it's like. Two of the spies came back with a, with a good report. But ten of them came back with a negative report the word says they spread a negative report that's easy to do isn't it to spread a negative report for sure they said yeah there's 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 flowing with milk and honey yeah for sure there's there's abundance there but there's big giants there's big obstacles we can't do this They didn't have enough faith, the bottom line. They didn't have enough faith to take what God had promised them. A generation of grumblers would not enter the promised land and they had to wait another 40 years. Church, we can miss out on God's plan, his blessing for us by taking our eyes off of him. In, in Numbers 14, we read then that they decided they'd try and do it on their own, do it in their own strength. They went without the Ark of the Covenant and they tried to do it in their own strength and that failed. They got defeated. Even uh, Moses and Aaron missed out because they disobeyed God and Joshua finally led the people into the land. The last point, the seventh point, finally they get there. Deuteronomy 7, take the land. God said to them as they go into the land, as you enter, don't compromise with the enemy. Don't water down the values that I've given you. Don't accept second best. You know, God is not offering you second best. So don't take second best in the belief that that'll be the easiest route. God has something incredible for you in your life personally. For you in, in whatever ministry you're doing. Uh, whatever way you're serving him I want to encourage you church look, lift your eyes of faith to him and believe that that incredible thing that he's burning in your heart that incredible vision that it actually could be for us as a, as a body what is God saying to us
Don't compromise your faith and your calling. Take the land. Take it fully.